YASA's additional coverage, podcast number nine. I'm your host, Tim Hicks, and for today's additional coverage, I'm pleased to be joined by Amrita Subramanian. Hello, everyone. Tim, thank you for having me over. We're so glad to have you. Amrita is a trailblazer in the field of post-disruptive growth as a faculty member at the University of Pennsylvania and a lecturer at the Wharton School of Business. As an author, speaker, and executive coach, Amrita is on a mission to reach the masses with her message of intentional growth and hope, something we could use a little more of these days. Today, we're going to talk about how employees can access and capture their company's culture. But first, I would like to recognize the support received from IASA's member companies and volunteers. IASA is the voice of the insurance industry. If your company is not already a member... I encourage you to consider all the benefits that come with membership in IASA. Find out more at IASA.org. And Rita, again, thank you so much for taking time from your busy schedule to speak with me today. There's, there's been a lot of, well, pontification out there about the quote-unquote new work norm of working from home or, or the hybrid scenarios. What are you seeing as trends in company cultures? Well, Tim, first and foremost, thank you. This is one of the most pertinent questions of our time. And I think there are just such divergent point of views that it is very hard to say, how do I make up my mind with so much data that is out there? The first thing to understand, and I will begin from the basics. So, Tim, I, I welcome your your uh, helpful in, interjections at any point of time as I, as I move forward. So... Okay. Consider this to be a GPS, yes? Every organization has a GPS through time. And this GPS, imagine a triangle in front of your eyes, which has three points, culture, structure, strategy. So if you look at this GPS and say whether we were in 1990, 2000s, you know, pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, this GPS is constantly upgrading and evolving. Now, when a pandemic such as this happens, then one of the things we have to pause and understand that this is not a local tragedy. It's not a local tornado that happens somewhere else, does not affect us. This is something that United Nations has defined as a collective trauma. And it has happened within a time-bound movement. Now, we don't know how long the tail of the pandemic would be in terms of its economic, societal, and other aspects. Now, imagine this GPS getting crushed. When this gets crushed, it shatters our assumptions about what we thought were, for instance, nature of life, nature of living. And one of the things is nature of work. So when we want to understand the nature of work, we have to begin to redraw this GPS by saying, so what happens to the elements of culture? What happens to the elements of structure? And what happens to the elements of strategy? When we start honing in, so this is a triangulation when you start honing in from all this, then the lopsidedness of our point of view reduces. But I'll pause here before I move forward. Is this making sense? Absolutely. And I love what you described as collective trauma. That's really a very apt description. Yes. Yes. I've said this before in podcasts. Our path is like a guided missile. You, you launch it and you don't just launch it and let it go. A guided missile is guided along the way. And that's kind of, I think, along the lines of what you're talking about is redeveloping the GPS in those three structure points. Absolutely. And so when we today look at, so what is this uh, reality as it looks like? I mean, you know, if, if you are not too fond of the cliche new, then say fresh. You know, when a storm comes and devastates us or after the devastation, we are able to get a much clearer view of the horizon. And what is on the horizon is future. 
when we look at the future without thinking of it as a Facebook reality, you know, I have to like or dislike it. You know, you delete that. Truth has very little appetite for what we like or dislike. It is about our our humility to understand that there are certain behavior patterns that are now more relevant than that, what they were in the past, which means that there wasn't an appetite for work from home before because we were still in a very management controlled environment. But now the independence which the pandemic has fostered because of productive homes, and you and I know with children running around in the backdrop, with parents you know, taking care of uh, kids at their education at home, moms and dads are the everyday heroes who've taken care of work and home much better. And of course there is the burnout, but that's a different topic. But what the organizations have learned from their employees is that you don't need the middle layer, that people are self-driven, that people can really auto-regulate, which means that there is a revision or reframing on the part of the corporations per se, the entity that said, no, 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 we need someone to, to rule the collective. Actually, it's the opposite. The collective intelligence now has this guided wisdom, as you say, where they have taken care of tasks process and profit. I will pause now. Well, that's, that is fantastic. It, you, you're exactly right. Um, it, it's turned the management way of thinking upside down. And your allegory to the, the after the storm is, is absolutely on point. You think, you know, things are the way they are and you like the way they are. And then something comes along and totally disrupts, you know, we had a a storm and it blew a part of our house down or you know, took out our trees or something. And, and you go, wow, you know, what, what do we do at this point? You have to take a step back and open your mind to possibilities and what can happen, not just what does happen. That's what we call the rut, right? Getting out of the rut and being able to open your mind and think about the possibilities is really where we're standing right now, wouldn't you say? I love how you you framed it, and thank you for that. You know you, what you said inspires this awareness, and and many of of your audience members might be very very familiar with this concept. With so much of the world coming at us, we have a way to maintain our sanity, and so what happens is we draw a square, a mental square, and I'm just giving a diagrammatic image since you spoke of ima imagination. So imagine that there is so much light that comes in that you, you get dazzled by it and you forget you know how to see. So what you do is you contain the light by saying, okay, I'm letting this much of light. I'm making a box with my hand. This mental configuration is also called bounded rationality, which is only this much is saying anything out of it is out there. I'm not going to consider this because this is all that my bandwidth can take. And so what happens is when the storm comes, and when the borders of the cognitive boundary of rationality is challenged, there are two possible responses and the range of it in between. One is we get stuck. No, the idea of the past was more comfortable and I'm going to stay with that no matter the turbulence. And then there are those who would say, I have the humility to understand that the storm completely destroyed and it is a loss and we must mourn it. But what we must also understand that this is the opportunity for birth of a new reality. Exactly. So what happens is the choices in the range of, now those of us who get stuck in the past and say, no, let's return to normal. Then normal is already archaic. There is no, the past does not exist, but it is a fallacy of our mind that is convenient and comfortable to us. Now I, I want to respect the intelligence and the need for that. It is self-preservation. 
I understand that. But it is also what you said, which was pivotal for me, is the turn of time. You see, the time is constantly moving forward. We have a choice to learn from it and keep pace with it and move the collective forward, which requires an, uh, an, a terrific leap, if you will, of the way we understand pace. It's not a burnout pace, but it's the pace with which we adapt and create that adoption within people, systems, and events. And for those of us who are, like you said, on the progressive end of it, who are anticipating more changes, whether it's intentional or unintentional, we end up creating, if you will, a vaccine for bruising as we move forward, for doing new things, for daring and creating new boundaries of rationality. Because we always want to stay rational. Why? Because the whole idea of an organization, any organization, two people, three people, 300 million people, is that there is a logical flow of things. And circling back to the question, you cannot solve the promise of tomorrow with the logic of yesterday. Oh, very good, very good. And I loved how you referred to it as creating our own vaccine. That is such a great picture. Um, and, you know, we physically, you know, we've developed the vaccine for coronavirus. Great. But the idea of creating the vaccine for our life, for our work, for, you know, the way we do things, it does have to be evolved and created. I love that reference. Well, thank you, Tim, you know, and I will honor the point that spontaneously came up, uh, as, as you were saying, it's the question of evolution. And, you know, evolution, you don't have a negotiation with it. We are all evolving upward, inward, downward, sideways, we call it growth, uh, we call it, you know, moving forward in time, no matter what. But this is something I want to bring into focus. And this goes back to the word collective trauma. And I'll, I'll just nerd out for 10 seconds. And here's what it is. If you draw a line in front of your eyes, yes. On one end is the part where we get stuck in time. Yes, the frozen, fight, flight, freeze, that's one end. And the other end is growth. The same event that leads to devastation is the same event that leads to transformation. How is that? And the thing to understand is the word trauma. We usually understand the word trauma to be deep woundedness. I mean, that's the immediate popular one that comes to mind. In German, the root word traum means a daydream. It means something that runs in a loop. For instance, falling in love is a positive trauma. Getting your best job is a positive trauma. Having your grandchildren come to you is a positive trauma. But we don't think of it as trauma. Why? Because we consider it to be an event which requires high level of adaptation, but because of love. We love that. So we don't think of it. On the other hand, on the negative end of it, the drastic end of it, uh, such as, say, any assault on reality, nature, mechanics, life, hand of God, whatever happens. What we think of it is as bad events because, we, you know, we kind of bifurcate the good and the bad. The negative end of the spectrum, often what it does, it stops time inside us. While the positive end, which is comforted by love and positive emotions, keeps moving. We keep adapting for love. We keep adapting. But when it breaks us, time just stops. And when it stops at the farthest end, we know the word post-traumatic stress. That this is the range of population uh, and human beings who, it's not just wars, you know, domestic abuse, any kind of assault. People come here and there, it's like a Netflix season that doesn't move forward. It's the same 15 seconds that keeps moving. Here, people require urgent care. Now, pre-pandemic, this percentage is 5 to 11%. Post-pandemic, it's almost up to 17%, mostly women and classes who are much less privileged 
in our society. They suffer the most. Now, why am I talking about this? Because while 17% of the world might be stuck, the rest of the world is moving forward. But you see, this end is more glamorous because you know, there is celebrity and budgets and government conversations. But this end of growth is a quiet one. And that's why I like this conversation because growth, we need to pay attention. Most of the time it's implicit. Everyone is growing. Like you said, everyone is evolving. But until we have a conversation like you and I do and really slow down to speed up our understanding, it doesn't move from the back of our head to forward. And we get to look at it. We get to turn it. We get to see how have we grown. Because the biggest factor of post-disruptive growth in culture is, do we know how we are growing and what specifically is growing? Okay, that leads right back to the whole intentional growth thing. Tell us how we can be intentional about our growth pattern. Now, let me clarify this. Are we talking at an individual level, a community level, a national level? What would be most helpful? I think on the individual level, let's go go with individual level. So fantastic that you should ask that. The first thing to understand is that you are, you and me both, and all your audiences, you are a part of a web of life. You're not alone. Even if the underscore is a very interstellar, we're all alone and we feel alienated, we really are not. At an individual level, your reality is one layer of reality, which has many layers by itself. Then there is interpersonal you and your mate, you and your children and your parents and, you know, the ecosystem uh, that has. Then there is the group. Your family is a group. The school you go to is a group. The college friends you hang out is a group. The sports club you are with is a group. The people you went to school with is a group. Your neighborhood is a group. And then there is the system, which is, you know, again, it's an extrapolated to the part. It's a nation and then the world. And the reason I am speaking of these four levels is who you are at an individual level collectively will affect who we are at a national level or at a global level. Because if it's a collective trauma, then your trauma is not separate from the pain of all. You know, there, there is a sheltering, there is a refuge in, in that understanding. So what patterns can we do for an individual growth? I would say immediately three things. The first is a greater appreciation for yourself. Who you are is very, very important to understand. And how we understand who you are links to the other two points. Again, I'll go back to the reference of, of, of the GPS and I'm holding up a triangle. Imagine a triangle and on that triangle, three points are my relationship to myself, my relationship to others, and my relationship to the world. So the first thing is, who am I when I wake up to myself and how do I see myself? This pandemic has truly, truly slowed all of us down and challenged our assumptions of what we believed we were. So that's the first thing you truly have to listen to yourself. You don't need a sound bite from someone else to download what you should be telling yourself. This is this intelligence is innate in you. The second is a relationship with others. How has the quality of your conversation with your mate, with your children, with your parents, with your siblings, with your friends, with your coworkers, has evolved or has it devolved? Pay attention, slow down. You don't need all relationships to be activated all the time. Facebook has 15,000 friends, but really, who are your friends? And the friend you have, what is the quality of conversation? So I'm saying really take the micro. So imagine a telescope and a microscope. So I'm saying apply a microscope to the smallest moments of experience. So it is not something you have to read a book. You just have to pay attention to, do I feel kind, valued, respected, heard, and safe in this relationship? So my relationship with others. The third part of the triangle 
is the one that, you know, so I suppose you and I and all the first homo sapien who ever looked at the stars said, why do I exist and who am I? Why is it that I am waking up every day when so many around me aren't? Why do I have the blessing of life when others don't? So when we think of growth, this is a very intimate trinity, if you will, a triangulation of data that requires an inward reflection because as adults, that's the amazing Wikipedia we have on the inside. Our brain stores all of these, this, this sort of a Google stock of all images that we have grown because like you said, stocks of knowledge. We have terrific stocks of knowledge in our past, which says that we are valuable, we're cherished. Yes, we've gone through negative traumas. We've also gone through several positive traumas, you know, several, several things that have defined us. But most of the time, we don't see a holistic view of our shaping. We live in an age of instant gratification and we are, if you will, approval junkies. Whatever you do, just like me, you know, just, just like me. But what if you stood in your truth and figured out that there is something deeply valuable than the opinion of what is in the mirror, which is an image of virtual reality, a platform, a tech platform. So I'm bringing all of this back because whether the audience is in their, in the sunset years, they are, they are peers of ours or they are younger generation who are coming up. The biggest question is, do you know who you are? And have you taken the time with yourself to find out? Wow. I have never heard that put together so eloquently. I think there are elements of what you just said that I think many of us somehow innately know, but putting them together in a way to encourage the introspective thought and the intentional growth is just incredible. Thank you for that. And that takes me to another point then. Given that we all are morphing, changing, evolving daily, let's say, for example, in my situation, my office was actually closed down three years ago. Now, the last time I visited at my office, you know, when I worked at my office, I understood what our corporate culture was. You know, I understood my coworkers that sat in the same row with me. I understood the people that I would sit and talk with at lunchtime. That is, as you say, history. It's ancient. It's, it's archaic now. So when we talk about trying to access a company's culture, first of all, I suppose we have to know that there is a culture, right? And then like boomers, Gen Xers, we we're used to that whole idea of the structure of the office environment and the culture represented there. So we, if we were going into a new job, really don't know how to access that culture, if indeed there is a culture to access. Now, I've, I've given you a whole lot to unpack there. What are your thoughts about that? Wow. You know, this deserves a lovely cup of coffee or a nice dip of bourbon somewhere, because this is such a fantastic perspective to layer, I will offer this. We don't see air. We don't see air. But without air, we won't survive a second. So culture is always there. The point, whether it is accessible or not, is a different conversation. If it is not accessible, it is a culture, a culture of inaccessibility. If it is accessible, then it's the culture that has been made accessible by people who are the architects of it. So the fact that that we are in the middle of somewhere and we have to find our location within this, this company, this identity, 
that we are supposed to have a psychological contract with that, you know, I'm going to work with you and for you and together we are aligned with our purpose. The most obvious thing, which used to be in the past, were artifacts. There was a building, there was a name, there was an elevator, there was a room freshener, there were value boards, you know, there was an HR onboarding and offboarding. Well, that's not there now. The identity of an organization is now cognitive. It's a mental identity. So now the organizations have to evolve their way of onboarding so that the memory of belonging happens first in the mind. So it's almost like we've all taken the blue pill and the red pill overnight. And now it has to be downloaded to me and it has to come through experience. And given that we are locked behind this fourth wall uh, in a virtual setup, say we are partially behind the virtual setup and partially in firm, our experiences virtually must supplement positively our experiences in person. Because you see, there are so many times what appears very glitzy and beautiful in virtual often is disappointing in reality. So there is this disillusionment that takes place. And, you know, not to mention the great resignation wave that we have all, you know, looked at. And, and, and that's, a, that's a whole different packet to bloom. But the, the idea is that it is as much the effort of the person joining an organization as it is the effort of the organization to come together to interpret what is invisible. And for that, we need to depend on the grammar of language, the grammar of treatment, the grammar of policies and practices, and most importantly, the cardinal line, values. The values that we say, we add words, and the values that we live. Because words become meaningless if actions speak otherwise. Yes. And those core values have to be repeated and repeated and repeated yes. to make sure that people stay in line with those values, that they understand what it is that's expected and yes. where, where their activities and actions yes. need to take yes. themselves as well as the company. Absolutely. And it's the memory of it. And, and that's what I want to stress. You see, to forget is sublime, and we are very quick at forgetting. We were so distracted, we have so many things to pay attention to. So how can an organization and the person joining an organization proactively, intentionally pay attention to creating a point of connect where the experience is memorable? You see, memories are sticky things. If every organization has the same uh, two-minute noodle of culture orientation, then why should I be with you? I would be with someone else. Mm -hmm. So the question is what differentiates the differentiation, and, and this is the, the, the language I think we need to equip ourselves with, is the moment of experience. It's not some big banner, it's not the t-shirt, it's not the frappe you're given, it is the moment of experience because pardon the bit of French I'm about to say, we have a wonderful bullshit meter. We just know it. Yes. And we should trust it. You know, none of us are fools and naive. So when we walk in and some human being is, or the system itself is created with terrific levels of care. Once the care is introduced, then the credibility and the competency of the, or the capability of the organization comes into the picture. But if there is no care, then no matter how credible or competent you are, you as an organization become highly, highly replaceable. And so does the person joining you. And we don't like to be treated as androids, you know, mm -hmm. served and then the next version can come in. But that is the danger. That is the danger. So I'll pause here. Yes. You don't want to be considered just a number. Just we a all, number. We all want to know where we belong in the, in the big picture. Yes. Because it's an identity. Yes. 
You know, and Rita, I could sit here and talk to you, I think, all afternoon long. I just, I, I get so much out of this. Unfortunately, the podcast has to be a little bit shorter than that. Of course. Hey, I, I so appreciate you for uh, taking a few minutes out of your busy schedule with us. I want to let our listeners know that Amrita is currently recruiting people for a pilot study called Growing Beyond Pain, which is a journey beyond this trauma of the COVID pandemic. You can find out more and enroll in the study at growbeyondpain.com. Well, that's all the time that we have for today's podcast. But Amrita, if our listeners would like to follow up with you, and I bet you will get a lot of uh, feedback from this one, how can they reach out to you? Well, like you said, Grow Beyond Pain, definitely, yes, a shout out to that. And second, you know, you can look me up at LinkedIn. Grow Beyond Pain has all the resources. And let me just say this, Tim, it was one of the most interesting conversations I've had, albeit brief, but thank you for that. And if you happen to have comments about the show or any show suggestions, which I always welcome, you can always email me at tim.hicks at fisglobal.com. Until next time, I'm Tim Hicks with today's guest, Amrita Subramanian. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Be sure to catch our next podcast when I will share the microphone with Darren Reffitt for a more technical discussion about voice technology and customer experience. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss those new episodes when they come out. Be sure to let your friends and colleagues know about the show too. And hey, one more thing, if you don't mind, please rate and review the show. It helps other people find us more easily. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.